Matt, we recently were at a academic conference together uh, talking about interdisciplinary studies of uh, tattooing. I had to restrain Matt at certain points to uh, from exercising his particular knowledge and expertise. You know, had to uh, you know. Some people know less than you, Matt. I think from I know. Well, and some people know more than me. Most people know more than me. Um, So it's always good. But yeah, I have to be on my best behavior. You know, stop yourself getting, you know, threats online. You know, if you can teach it, you can live it. This is this is true. Yeah. Um, Was it your first academic conference, Tom? Uh, First academic one. I spoke at one last year. It was more of an industry thing for the European Brewers uh, Conference. I was on a panel and moderated another one. But uh, yeah, so I was surrounded by anoraks for the first time. You know what they say about the reason that academic discourse is so heated is because the stakes are so low, right? <laughs> Shout, and you know what? Shout out to everyone last weekend. You were all so lovely. Um, yeah, I had a great time. And even the people who, um, with whom uh, I, I disagreed with uh, on some issues, I had lovely chats with afterwards. Um, so mm-hmm. it was very, very good. So you're putting some of those up on the feed, right, Tom? Yeah, yeah, uh, they'll be up on the Patreon if for subscribers, and if you're not a patron, you should check it out. We got some interesting academic stuff. Matt's keynote is up from up there. We already have one of the talks, um, Adam McDade's uh, study on the role of the tattooist in being a service provider, a person, and a tattooist. But yeah. and we'll uh, have, I think, we'll have some of the people who spoke like. T- because obviously the papers are most of them are quite academic in tone, um, but we're going to try and have um, our favourites from the, from that conference on to talk more um, or informally and in more of a conversational way. Um, we're definitely going to get Adam on, for example. So yeah, keep um, if you're not subscribed to the Patreon, get get subscribed. I should also probably introduce the show. I always forget to do this. You always forget. Uh, people I'm know. Sorry. People have clicked I'm the just... button. People know what they. People know what they're listening to. Um, you haven't come very... on in the background. You're very welcome to Beneath the Skin, the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. I am one of your hosts, Thomas O'Mahony, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Dr. Matt Lauder. And we are joined by some hotly anticipated guests. Anytime I've, to- anytime I've told people about this episode in the past couple of weeks, I've met with, holy shit, really, I have all those books. And to be honest, I was shocked when... Uh, we got this in motion because as someone who owns all of these books, and I think I've been in maybe like three or four tattoo studios in the past few years that didn't have at least one copy of them, we are very uh, gracious to welcome the brains, the minds behind the Russian tattoo encyclopedias. Gentlemen, are you? would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, yeah, I'm Damon Murray. Uh, I am one half of Fuel Publishing with Stephen Sorrell. And, um, yeah, we publish books um, with Russia as one of our themes. Hi, I'm Mark Vincent. Um, you're not alluding to my first book <laughs> there um, at all, I don't think. But um, I've been working on um, criminal gangs in different environments for a few years. And in my first book, I, I used uh, quite a few images uh, from the Fuel Collection. So it's kind of yeah. the relationship has led on from there. Yeah, I've, I've been... Um... So the, the the Russian criminal tattoo encyclopedia book statement that you put out, I'm sort of of the opinion um, that they basically are responsible for most of like the last 10 years of tattoo trend. Um, so we could talk a bit about that, but I guess we should start off by talking about with, with you, Mark, or both of you, about the book that you've put together, which is the Russian 
uh, Criminal Tattoo Archive, which is kind of a a follow-up, a compendium, an addition of some new material to those encyclopedia, which for a while were very hard to get hold of because they are out of print, right? And then you republished them. Um, so yeah, I don't know which uh, which one of you wants to go first, but do you want to talk about this new project and the new book and how it fits into um, sort of the the legacy or the or the story of of the books that have come before it? Um, yeah, I suppose I should start with that as as the publisher. Um, I mean, we, we've uh, collected this work for quite a long time now. Obviously, the first book came out in two thousand three. Uh, yeah, I slept on getting a first edition of it, and then was really annoyed, and was very, very happy when you republished them and they became cheap again. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the other two first editions, but I never got the the first one first edition because I I sort of slept on buying it a copy, and I guess it was quite a short print run, or relatively compared to the demand. And for a while, they were many hundred pounds on the secondary market, and I was so happy when you republished <laughs> re- yeah, them. I didn't, I didn't get one because I was eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> claims for fame it sort of uh, crept up on us really their kind of popularity and um i think you know when when we first put them out it it was one of those things where it's like this is such an oddity uh we weren't sure which way it was going to go and it, and you know um tattooing is obviously kind of uh, mushroomed into into you know a whole new industry since then and um but it, it it was you know it wasn't a massive thing when it first happened, and it slowly kind of crept up um, in popularity until the book sold out, and then we thought, well, we better get onto that. <laughs> so, how did it come together? Had you been you'd been working on Russian stuff beforehand? Uh, me and Steve, we actually met at um, St Martin's. We were doing graphic design together at St Martin's College of Art, and then we went to the Royal College uh, where we set up fuel. Uh, while we were still at college, and then we left college and and started uh, working, you know, as fuel with our own graphic design practice, and we did uh, books for different publishers as part of that. And um, eventually, we just thought, well, we you know, we better put our money where our mouth is and and start producing our own stuff because um, and putting it out there. And you know, we we had to go through the kind of publishing complications of distribution and things like that but you know we because we were working in the 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 area already we kind of knew all the other elements that we had to get together and and how did they come together of like meeting i mean tell us the story about about uh, danzig baldeyev and and how did that actual kind of network come together because uh, uh, these books are um and you see this loads of this in the new book as well the three encyclopedias plus the the Gulag Diaries book plus this, they're, they're largely the kind of result of a collecting project of almost one guy, right? Like, Yeah, Danzig Baldev, he was a prison guard. And, and you know, Mark has done uh, a lot of research into his background, so he, he's going to elaborate on this later. But he was a prison guard, and, and uh, basically he, he was an ethnographer and he was able to copy the tattoos of, of the criminals and this is something he did at home, you know, in his own time. And he amassed this collection, uh, which is what the new book is about. It's about showing his actual works on paper, whereas previously we've shown only kind of uh, black and white, you know, uh, kind of very basic uh, versions of them. These are these actual drawings which are made in, in ink 
on on paper, you can see the kind of tracing pencil lines. They're really kind of visceral. I, I want to get into that because I was abs- I was just absolutely like ecstatic when this book arrived and reading through it because I've I mean, become so familiar with them. The workmanship is amazing. The draftsmanship is is phenomenal, and uh, it it we we were sort of um, a friend of ours had basically put us onto him. And um, we produced the first book, and uh, eventually it, he died, and we were sort of working with his wife, and she, we went over there. I went over there to to um, St. Petersburg and um, met with her, and yeah, I mean that was an interesting meeting. <laughs> the only publishing meeting I've been to where there's been a gun on the table. You know, which <laughs> okay, that's how this is going to roll. Um, but anyway, yours but, or yeah. theirs? Yeah, well, it was <laughs> theirs. Yeah, uh, but the upshot of that was, um, you know, she wanted to sell the drawings. They were literally in bin bags, slowly being eaten by mice. Yeah, and um, she was like, you know, let's let's do a deal. So we did a deal, and that and that's when right. we sort of brought them back and we were able to kind of catalogue them and put them in some sort of order. And then since then, we've had exhibitions of the drawings and the photographs as well. So, yeah. Yeah, the photographs got exhibited at um, Saatchi Gallery, didn't they? I saw those. That's right, and- yeah. As, yeah. As well as, sort of, you know, we've um, done a couple of exhibitions in London and one in Berlin. So, yeah. And we're always lo- sort of looking for new venues for exhibitions. Yeah, I love a good um, tattoo history in a bin bag story. I, I've got a couple myself, and it's amazing. I was about to, I was about to ask what's the what's with the tattoo ephemera's obsession with being stored in bin bags? Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a little, you're get, you're getting quite familiar with this now, Tom, hanging around with hanging around with us. Um, so, Mark, here, do you want to tell us um, then? Yeah, tell us about about Danzig Balev and about I guess about the context. Like, when is he working? Where where and why does this archive come together? So um, I think the the thing that well, one of the many things interests me the most about this project was I think that Baldev's background has, has been kind of like almost forgotten. I mean, the drawings, are, like as you were saying, they're they're incredible. And when I got to see them at Fields offices for the first time, I I couldn't believe that I was looking at them with the uh, they've been nibbled at around the edges and seeing Baldev's um, annotations on the back, his notes on the on the various different people. So I, I think that. There was an opportunity to really tell a story about Baldev that had been a, a little missed about his background and kind of where he originally came from. I think people are, are reasonably familiar with the fact that he he ended up in St. Petersburg in Leningrad and kind of where the collection developed from there. So I wanted to do a little bit about him and his family and kind of coming from um, Buryatia, which is this region in kind of like eastern Siberia, quite close to Mongolia. Um, essentially, like he he grows up and um, his family suffered repression during the 1930s. Uh, he's a uh, Baldev, um, Danzig Baldev, and his sister, actually, are both sent to orphanages in um, Siberia. Um, so um, Danzig ends up fighting during the Second World War. Um, it's a little unclear w- what he's doing during the Second World War. And then he's um, kind of placed in Ukraine afterwards, a, a time when Ukraine is essentially or kind of on lockdown because they're worried about nationalism in that region. So Baldev, in, a, in around about 1948, I think, is ends up in St. Petersburg, Leningrad at the time, and he begins working as a prison guard in probably the most kind of famous prison in in the Soviet Union then and 
and Russia today. It's a place called Crosses. Um, and he begins to develop the collection more from there. I think he'd started drawing some um, tattoos. We found one from 1943, so like during the war itself, when he was kind of obviously in Mongolia with the annotations on it. So the collection develops from Leningrad and from this um, Crosses prison in, in 1948. And who are the, who's that prison? Uh, what's who is that prison holding? Like who are the who are the inmate populations? Are they dissidents, uh, uh, petty criminals, uh, violent criminals? What's the who's going there? It's holding it's holding a lot of everyone. Like the period after the Second World War, there is a huge amount of repression. So there are some political prisoners there. Also, it's it's almost like a, a kind of holding prison, essentially, um, for people to be sent off to you know to, to Siberia to, to other locations that make up the kind of expanse of the of the gulag so um during his time as a guard across his prison like he i think that he experiences a lot of different prisoners um and that continues when he's moved into a kind of role for uh, like essentially becomes kind of a police officer really uh in in leningrad and the police at that time have access to all to, to the kind of um penal institutions and gulag camps and he uses that access uh, as me and, and and Damon and Fuel have seen, um, to be able to be able to travel throughout the Soviet Union uh, from his kind of you know like base in in Leningrad, St Petersburg during that time, so he experiences a a, a huge range of different prisoners. Uh, again, when we look through the collection, like I don't think there is a, a nationality that's not represented by his drawings in the collection, which again is something I think that's been a little misunderstood about the archive in the past. Maybe focusing on you know which tattoos linked to the Russian mafia. Yeah. Um, but there's 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 tattoos from um, from Chechnya and from Ukraine and from the Baltics as well. It really is like a kaleidoscope of different nationalities that are represented through the tattoo drawings. Yeah. And this is what I really like about the project, actually. And well, so many, one of the things I love about the project in so many ways, because one of the things, in fact, I was saying this at this conference, so people can listen to my keynote on the on the podcast, um, that actually criminal tattoo archives in general, right, is one of the only places that um, academics have been able to access tattoo history. And so there's been this kind of myopia developed that you know, only criminals get tattoos or whatever. But um, even in criminal archives, if you actually look at it properly, as you guys uh, as you guys do and have just alluded to, there's a lot of um, there's a lot more granularity in there, right? So, in the even in the the encyclopedias, and um, without them being signposted, there is obviously some very kind of fascist imagery. There's some very very like pro government, pro pro communist stuff. There's it's, it's it's a very diverse image set, which actually. As you said, if you focus on it in this very kind of myopic way of this is this is the criminals only or this is the gangs and people have a you know imaginary of what that is through through film and through um through other kinds of media, you miss all of that kind of yeah all of that richness of what these tattoos can tell us about the people and the the places um and the times that that I think all tattoos can tell us right um, I, I was just, I, oh I just wanted to ask to kind of get a grounding for the conversation as we're going forward. What is the kind of cultural context for tattooing in the Soviet Union at this time, you know, from the 1930s onwards? Uh, um, I, th- I mean, the tattoos are, like, as far as I can tell, and I've done a reason- reasonable amount of research into it, the, the tattoos are quite confined to the penal system, like, through the 20s and the 30s. And then it's when there are a, a kind of mass releases that happen. I, I think the biggest mass release happens after after Stalin dies in 1953. 
so they are very much confined to the labor camp system, the gulag, the, the precursor to the gulag as well in the 20s, the 30s and the 40s. And then with the mass releases in the in early 1950s, that's when uh, tattoo culture and in fact, just kind of penal and criminal culture uh, really kind of goes mainstream, I suppose, would be the best explanation for it. I was going to say, I think tattooing is explicitly illegal, isn't it, In this, uh, for most of the time of the Soviet Union. Um, like, even in some of the records I found in Japan, there's clearly, like, Japan, uh, Russian sailors are getting tattooed in Japan after the Russia-Japanese war, but there's no there's no mainstream culture of, of commercial tattooing, as was developing in, um, in Britain, the United States, but earlier. And then even in Germany and France, and we heard from... Um, from Julia a few weeks ago on the podcast about Spain, like there's a little bit of nascent professional tattooing beginning in the 20s and 30s in the run up, you know, run up to World War One and in, in between the wars, but that doesn't really happen in in the USSR, certainly not in Russia, right? Like you haven't got tattoo shops in the same way as no. you might have had in London. I mean, there is there is beginnings of a tattoo culture exists before the revolution. I think also quite kind of famously, although I haven't actually seen the evidence of this, uh, Nicholas II has a tattoo um, yeah. of. No, he what does. Is- there's, fo- there's photos of him actually with his tattoos on his arm. He he's one of the few aristocrats and royals who had the um, good grace to play tennis, and therefore we can see his <laughs> tattoo on his arm. <laughs> his, yeah, uh, which I think does he does he get that map when he's travelling around? Yeah, almost certainly in Japan. Lots of tattooers claim to have tattooed him. Actually, as the same with um, I mean most most sort of well known. What would happen is basically some some aristocrat or royal would would be publicly known to be tattooed, usually in Japan. And then every tattooer from like between Hong Kong to like San Francisco would claim to have been the, either done it or added to it, you know. And Nicholas II is on a few lists of yeah, I tattooed that guy. Um, I, I I don't know the truth or the extent of his tattoo, but he definitely has at least one on his arm. Um, but yeah, yeah it's well, the- there's a very similar uh, rumor that exists about Stalin as well, and I think that the evidence is more lacking yeah. in that case. That's, yeah, same <laughs> with Churchill. Again, I don't think Churchill was tattooed. I, yeah, I hadn't heard the Stalin one, but um, it sort of makes sense. Um, so, my uh, speaking of like media and presentations, I've um, I've seen that documentary, the the Mark of Cain, which is set in uh, Russian prisons, about tattooing a bit later on. Uh, can you talk a bit about the culture of, of of prisons then, Mark? Like, what what do prisons themselves look like for for inmates? Uh, I guess, and I guess for guards, like, what's it like for for for, for, for Dunzig as a guard? So, um, the 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 first like kind of like camp system on a reasonable scale um, begins in the nineteen twenties. There's a particular camp which is um, in um, is 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 up in kind of in the far north, uh, and it's across an archipelago. It becomes really famous. It provides this kind of metaphor that Solzhenitsyn will use like later when he's writing his book, The Gulag Archipelago. So there's a famous camp, um, Solovki, uh, and there's some documentary footage in that film that you're referring to, Matt, Alex Lambert's Mark of Cain. So they do, they are, they they are similar in the way that they look, I suppose, to other concentration camps. Um, in terms of they're they're they they're big. They're spread over really large areas. They've got um, barbed wire and they've got guard towers. There there is barracks rather than you know prisoners being confined in 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 cells. So they are close in our imagination to what we see emerging um, from from Germany during you know nineteen thirties nineteen forties. There are big differences between the the two sets of you know kind of camp systems, but as a, a kind of way to imagine them. There's these huge places which are um, which are meant to be surrounded by barbed wire. That is not always the case. Um, the inmates are supposed to be separated, particularly male and female yeah. um, <laughs> prisoners. That is not the case either. <laughs> um, 
there's there's a lot of prisoners traveling between different barracks. Um, but yeah, in terms in terms of an idea about you know how, how we might see them, I, I think the, the watchtowers, the, the barbed wire, the size of them as well. The the biggest camp is uh, Kolimar, which is again in the far north, and I think that camp is made up of twenty seven different individual camps. It becomes an area the size of France. So we're talking about a kind of astronomical size compared to the penal institutions, you know, prisons that we have in the UK. Yeah. I'm I'm so, I mean, it's sort of, it's almost unimaginable. And this is sort of what I love about uh, the tattoo history of this is you can get access, even in that kind of huge scale, as you're talking about geographically, the huge num- numbers of people that would have been incarcerated at any one time. And these, but these, um, these designs like pull us out to some, I mean, I'm sort of sceptical in some ways that tattoos can tell us about individual lives, but they certainly tell us about like the lives of specific individual people, if you see what I mean. I mean, I wonder if you can, um, maybe this is a question for you, Damon, as well, like some of the stories or some of the kind of you know life histories or some of the kind of lives, some of the emotional histories that are coming out of actually looking at these drawings and I guess, uh, and these, these, these tattoos, and I guess the photographs too, um, what, what kind of stories stood out to you when you first came across them, for example. Mark, do you want to go first on that? I mean, I think, I, I think for me, I, Mark, Mark's done more research in in that area and and kind of and and delving into to the to the stories. I think for me, the the thing uh, about the images, it's like you're saying, it is it is the, the scale of it is kind of unimaginable, and and the images themselves are kind of unimaginable and they don't always mean what you think they mean because you, you as a as a kind of person living the lives we lead we're we're kind of looking at them and bringing our own assumptions to them and and that often is is not the case you know like the kind of the, the kind of fascist stuff it, it isn't necessarily fascist but it's anti-soviet and this, and similarly the the kind of religious stuff is also kind of uh, anti-Soviet, because those those kind of two elements that you know that the, the uh, Soviet Union has just come out of the Second World War, Nazis as always were the, were the kind of uh, you know hated enemy, and so the worst thing you could do with your body, which was the only area of expression you had left as a criminal, was was to make these marks, and it's, and it's the same exactly the same with religion with. Almost any sort of religion is, it's, but particularly Christian religion. You know, the Soviet Union had a whole campaign trying to eradicate Christian religion. You know, during the Soviet period, even up to the 1980s. So, you know, those uh, images are, are kind of striking and, and and form quite a. You know, they're quite a weighted. You know, when you look at a prisoner's, generally a prisoner's body, that language is is very apparent. And um, it doesn't always mean what you think it it means. Yeah, I had a there was a, um, a sort of weird conversation on Twitter last week about you know this um, white supremacist murder in uh, Allentown, Texas. Who had this swastika on him? And um, you know, some people say, "Well, I don't think he's a white supremacist." And some other people were saying, "Well, he's got a Nazi tattoo; he must be a white supremacist." And I sort of had to chime in and say, "Well, this guy, yeah, he definitely is a Nazi." <laughs> but let's not assume that just because you've got a swastika tattoo on you, you're a you're a fascist, and we've done it. We've done an episode about the complexity of that exact issue, but I think it gets to something really interesting, which is, you know, particularly in this Russian context. Often I'm asked, you know, by people, tell me what this tattoo means or this symbol means in a general sense. And I often, you know, I always have to say it doesn't really work like that. 
of course, like in some contexts, I think they're always localized, and I think particularly some of the um, uh, contexts in Russian prisons will be of this kind. There are ways in which X symbol means Y thing, but we always have to be super careful about, as you said, Damon, like making assumptions about what this stuff means and understanding the context um, is exactly, I think, what people don't get. And actually, I, funny enough, I think what, interestingly, looking at these tattoos in the way that you put them together over the books and over the whole kind of context of the projects over the years is actually you've given us context. You've, able, you've been able to put these into, you know, you've turned a story of one guy or, or one woman with a particular tattoo into a into a story of a moment in time that otherwise doesn't get talked about very much, right? I mean, that is very interesting from the point of view of Danzig because he was, he was making, like Mark said, he was making those notations. And, you know, his, his just... The relationship he had with those prisoners, you could tell that that relationship was almost as an equal. You know, there was certainly something going on there which wasn't a kind of uh, so hierarchical that that you know a, a prisoner wouldn't talk to a prison guard. Uh, and I'd have to say it's the same with um, having spoken to uh, Sergei Vasilev who's now um, sadly died, uh, but um, I did some interviews with him and he was, although he's a photographer, so it doesn't kind of equate quite the same, but as an outsider, he was kind of having conversations and good relationships with these criminals as well and got to know them outside when they were released. And I was, I mean, I, I don't speak Russian, so I'm always also been very glad of the translations that you've put on these. But, uh, you know, I come, I, I, look, I spend a lot of time with um, like, uh, European uh, criminal tattoo documentation, and often they are just descriptions or they're, in some cases, sketches. But what I love about what um, uh, Baldev did is he, he took the time to kind of annotate them and to explain them. And as you said, they that's actually coming from a, a genuine conversation and interest rather than just a, um, you know, quite kind of documentary um, panopticon of the, of the state, which is often what these records were doing. Um, and this, again, why I'm super excited about the archive because so much of those, um, those notes and those conversations, which are already in visible in some senses in the earlier, in the earlier books become much more visible. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you, what you think about that, Mark. <laughs> quite a lot about it yeah yeah um, yeah <laughs> uh, in lo- in different ways I, I think the first point is that um Baldeo's father is a is an ethnographer and he passes on the advice to to, to Danzig and he understands the importance I mean like you know, like um we've replicated some of them in the book but both Damon and I have, have you know kind of seen um how detailed some of the annotations are or also at times there aren't any annotations at all because it would depend on the penal the penal institution the place that he's visiting his ability to remember the conversations i think he he does have a kind of um like a shorthand that he uses to be able to draw the tattoos up later but I, I, you know I, and i think that probably shorthand exists in terms of uh a female prisoner you know 25 years old in prison for this but he's certainly i don't think writing out you know the entire biographies of each of these prisoners so a lot of it we're relying on his his memory for the annotations as well as the the tattoo drawings and i think that comes from the advice that his father passes on to him danzig writes that in his in in his 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 versions of the tattoo books as well about the importance of you know their relationship um so i think he's very very conscious and after a while i think he also has the idea uh, or plans to exhibit them as well 
um, which is what we see with the, some of the huge posters that are drawn up later on in his kind of professional career. So I think he ha he has a, a, a very, very good understanding of ethnography, but also let's try and use these. Um, and he provides you know help for detective teams at times later in his life. Also, let's let's get them published. Let's put them uh, let's put them on display for for, yeah. for more people than just the police officers to see. And was there, think, was there a separate record keeping system on on enlistment, for example, not enlistment, kind of incarceration, which documented prisoners' tattoos um, in in a more sort of um, you know in a more sort of record keeping kind of way? They're they're not marked down in in any formal prisoner files. They're just they're just completely missed. Wow. The the prisoner files are you know kind of age, uh, you know what they're sentenced for, um, eth ethnicity and so on. But they you know and the the only area they get close to is in terms of disabilities. Of course, they're kind of trying to make the decision where should we send this person to and how will they be able to you know kind of help out the most? I suppose. Um, yeah, so they're not marked in any formal, um, you know, kind of files. Uh, certainly not like in the in the gulag camps that I've seen. But I don't think they are um, at police stations after arrest either. I think they would probably follow the same kind of procedures. What is interesting is that when prisoners arrive at a lot of the the labour camps, when they get out to Siberia, wherever it might be, the guards separate the prisoners um, between who's got t tattoos and who hasn't got tattoos. Oh wow. So, and it, this is this is written in a lot of uh, prisoner memoirs. Um, so the the tattoos, along with kind of prisoner slang, they become a code that not just prisoners understand, but the guards understand it, and the guards understand the importance of it. And they begin to try to keep different different groups of criminal gangs away from each other for the same reasons as well. So um, even though they're not for it, no, nothing is kind of formally written down. It's it's almost an, you know this kind of. Um, idea that the tattooing doesn't exist like we don't ever record it we don't ever write about it uh, and then you get to see some of the the photos that emerge and, and people are covered from from head to toe, toe in tattoos and across their foreheads and everything else so um yeah no, no, nothing is it nothing is really reported in the newspapers uh, not even in the in the prisoner newspapers which are at times um quite open about other things like you know, violence and and so on happening in the in the camps so yeah it's almost like um tattooing is completely invisible i could get very nerdy on that on that archival lens question but it's a bit even a bit too nerdy for this podcast i'll save that for when i meet you in person <laughs> Mark. hey are you enjoying the show if you really like beneath the skin and you want to help support us you can do so on patreon for little as five quid a month you can help make this show possible help us buy research materials so if you like the show and you want to support us consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed we'll be getting into some really more interesting niche deep topics you don't want to miss out on and honestly the chance to kind of decide what thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity subscribe chuck us a few quid don't miss out on the chance to ruin thomas's body forever everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo we all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world. 
That's why Saniderm's here to help. Driven by science and innovation, Saniderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years. Saniderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Saniderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Saniderm to heal my tattoos in the past, and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process. Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Saniderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, and keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it so you can get on with your day worry-free and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster. Plus, their products are all natural and ethically sourced, so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients. So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Saniderm, healing your tattoos the modern way so you can get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Saniderm products or for more information. Um, I, I was going to ask, because you kind of touched on it there, like the development of this sort of like visual language that communicates meaning to the tattoos. And I think a lot of time when people discuss this, maybe that aren't either historians or people very into the tattoo kind of side of it, they kind of over over prescribe the visual language of the tattoos i have like two questions one what actual symbols that had actual meaning did you see and also like what were kind of some common themes that you saw so um the the first the first question then i i think because of the um, emergence of you know like gangs on the streets in the 1990s and alex lambert's documentary and the film eastern promises and the uh, fuel publications the the tattoos that we found that have symbolism are the ones that mostly people already know about. So the the, the stars on on the, the top of people's you know kind of bodies near their shoulders and on their knees as well. Uh, I really like really um, desperately looked for any kind of tattoos, any secret code that hadn't exist before I came along to write about it, hoping that it would be there. Um, and I, I don't think we did. I think what we we can we can show through the the archive and through looking at the drawings is that um, that how developed it is. But in terms of the actual symbolism, um, it's a, it's a lot of the same semiotics, the same symbols that people have talked about in the past. You know, the um, the amount of church domes um, representing someone's different places of incarceration or years of incarceration. Um, so the most prominent symbols have already been um, replicated either through fuels publications or through documentaries or just in, you know, kind of mainstream BBC drama series. I remember the TV series Spooks having a, a kind of Russian English like double or triple agent who had the tattoos on their back as well. So uh, we found a lot of symbols um, that matched up with what we all, with what we already knew, um, but nothing that had been kind of like hidden away, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I'm. Was there anything about criminal culture? Uh, you, as a researcher of Russian criminal histories, that that, that surprised you by getting access to these m- more proximate accounts of prisoners and, pri- and prisoner guard relations and things like that. Like, as someone who wasn't, you know, coming into this as a tattoo guy necessarily, were there things that surprised you? Yeah, well, I, like have, having suspected that there, like there's way way more to this archive than. <laughs> Gangs like the the, the amount of um, 
Um, so, so both, um, like both extremes, right? The amount of very sweet tattoos about love, you know, um, and to go to the other end of that, the amount of tattoos with huge cocks on them as well, you know, like to see how loving it was and how explicit it was at the same time. I mean, like I've, I've been a historian of the Soviet Union and Russia now for, for nearly 10 years and um, everything I've done, the whole place is full of contradictions and the, the tattoo archive isn't any different. There are so many, we, we found so many different themes and there's a, there, there is a lot more about gender and sexuality than I think anyone has ever talked about in the past. There's definitely a lot, a lot more about ethnicity uh, and nationalism. Um, I think the f- main focus being on the kind of mafia groups is maybe take, I uh, understand why it's happened because these, these gangs emerge and they're, they're shooting each other on the streets and it's horrible and violent, but people see it as cool and sexy as well, you know. Um, so to f- just to see the kind of vast array and also to, to begin to understand more about prisoner society through the tattoos which focus on gender and sexuality and nationality and um, for me to try to like kind of situate that alongside some of the, the prisoner slang as well so I think the biggest thing that complements um, the tattoo archive is the dictionaries of slang I think um, Danzig Bardo was responsible for publishing yeah. one of those and yeah. other people have as well um, it's bit like it bringing the, the the archive into like interview alongside the other um, sources has been difficult at times because they don't match up to the archival records. Going back to the point earlier, so they they do match up perfectly to the memoirs, and we've got hundreds and hundreds, thousands of memoirs. Um, but to use um, the dictionaries and the you know the, and and to match up the the vocabulary with the symbolism. Um, it, it just makes it makes everything about Gulag prisoner society like just just fit together. I suppose it's it's been very much a, like a kind of missing piece of the puzzle that uh, a lot of researchers of the Gulag have kind of kind of almost like left it to the side yeah. um, because it's not a it's it's not a textual source. Yeah, no, I agree. And actually, I mean, I I try and do something similar to that in general in my work, and it's why I was so excited to see the archive book because it does for all the kind of beauty and, and, and complexity of the encyclopedias, um, putting these in conversations about things like gender, sexuality, nationality, political allegiance, you know, all, all of, um, all of these kind of things where what happens when you put tattoos in conversation or intention with existing knowledge and existing conversations. I think that's where the real fun stuff happens. And I think, um, also what you guys do. And I think, Again, as Tom sort of alluded to, quite surprisingly, potentially, because there is this idea that, in particular, Russian prison tattoos are textual in a more straightforward way than some other forms of tattooing. To actually, to actually not straightforwardly read them as a text and think about them as a kind of, you know, as a as a complicating piece of arch- of, of archive in all of their richness, I think is a really. I think I think you're lucky, Damon, that you found Mark and not someone who was who would have treated this stuff more clumsily. Because I think I remember years ago, I can't remember the someone the, the guy's name, but I met with someone who was a, a who was a, um, a a Russianist who wanted to do something on tattooing, and I I sort of said, look, I don't. There's a lot of work to be done here that I think um, you know is still outstanding, and, and he wanted to come in to the conversation at a much later moment. And I think what this brilliantly does, this book, is come in. At, at, almost at the ground floor or, or certainly at the kind of mezzanine level, like the ground floor is your brilliant um, uh, uh, encyclopedias and other, other books on this, Damon. And then Mark, you've, 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 you've come in the conversation at the right time, you know, in the right level of, of access. You've not come at it trying to, you know, trying to come at it in, 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 a, in a more naive way. It's, you've, it's very serious, very complicated. 
you know, as well as like dealing with the beauty of it and the hilarity of it and the grotesqueness of it and the violence and the misery and the, you know, all of these things are present here. Um, I mean, one of the things I think, uh, I really like that Mark of Cain documentary, but I think it is a, it's very, it's a very bleak watch. <laughs> and actually like a lot of the joy of, of a perverse kind, but a lot of the kind of camaraderie and, you know, the kind of individuality or, or certainly the kind of complexity of individual lives that comes through in these images is quite surprising. If, if, if your image of, of, of this is just, as you said, just mafia or just bleak and repressive, and it, you know, it was all of those things. But as you said, there is this love and there is this humour and there is this kind of anger and there is... Um, I've described before, sorry, I'm rambling a bit, but I've described this before, like tattoos are, or the images people tattoo on their bodies are things they love, things they, things they hate and things they want to fuck. And maybe that last one is like a subset of the other two. And that covers most of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just about, I think. I mean, I th- it's just to uh, come back to a, a point you, you kind of made there I th- about getting Mark in. I think this is the kind of perfect book to do that because mm. it is an archive. And I think that's kind of how we wanted to present it. And I think it's interesting what, what you were saying about there not being officially kind of um you know marks down anywhere when when criminals were arrested and things like that and the only kind of real sources we have like kind of uh first-hand sources are the sources here which are Bordev's drawings and notations and uh Sergei Vasilev's new who's a newspaper man his his photographs and so Arpini iconic Bryant. those photos now aren't they they've just become uh, i mean yeah beyond beyond and, and i think that they're, they're they're just the kind of thing where you look at um Bordeaux's drawings and you just think there's no way there's just no way anyone would have that on their body and then you <laughs> <laughs> okay now i get it you know what i mean um and and then you've got arkady bronikov who was a who you know was was a kind of a a, a policeman security guy as well, um, and and he he collected them for a different reason, which makes uh, the the images that he has kind of separate from Vasilev's, which are much more um, styled, if you like, or much more kind of professional. His have the have the kind of vernacular aspect to them that makes them very raw and and. And as you'd expect, a kind of a headshot or a body shot to be for identification purposes. But those are the only people that are doing it. And it's interesting that uh, Vasilev, you know, who lived in Chelyabinsk, you know, which is in Siberia, which is a long way from Leningrad. <laughs> and they, he met with Bordev and they sort of, you know, um, spoke together about the tattoos because obviously they were. The, sort of two of the only people that were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also speaks, I mean, most is my guess, not knowing really very much about the Soviet Union. So I'd be interested to know what you think, Mark. My sense is, you know, the, the, the only sort of examples of this elsewhere are, are from places like France and Germany where, um, where prison guards did do sort of, were nowhere near at the, um, you know, scale or, or kind of, you know, quality of the work that Badaev did. But there was a kind of intellectual presupposition in Germany and France and Italy, I guess, that you could tell something about someone's character from the tattoos that they bore. But 
I wonder if uh, would are these absent from the criminal records because that's not an intellectual. I mean, it wasn't certainly a, a big a big idea in Britain at the time um, before World War Two. And I wonder if it, the sort of authorities weren't that interested, right? But it, so this turns what Baldev's doing into much more of a um, almost like a. I mean, as you said, an ethnography that comes from somewhere else, other than what are these people like. It's much more of a kind of documentation of a folk art than a prison guard trying to document. Mm-hmm. what kind of people he's got in front of him there's uh, in in terms of like criminology in the soviet you know, there's such a huge backlash in the 1920s about anything considered to be lombrosian yeah oh interesting so, so because of that happening earlier i think right they almost write off anything that could be seen as being lombrosian for example just doing drawings of people that's with amazing tattoos. So I, I, I think I've done a, um, a little bit of work on the 1920s and Lombrosian influences and how the, how criminologists get kind of essentially kind of suppressed um, during that period. But I think that that's the the kind of connecting thread is that like all like all of this is being recorded or not recorded beca- because of the communist ideology because their thoughts against certain people you know certain places and so on. So having um, made this big thing in the late 1920s about you know, anything that involves drawings of tattoos equals Lombroso. I think that's why it kind of doesn't come back later until in, until when it does in the kind of 70s and 80s. And, and I think when they they, they start um, identifying bodies being pulled out of the river, you know, because of their tattoos, like there's an argument there that, that they don't start doing that because of someone someone like Boldev has been there and he's working in in Leningrad and he's begun to develop this collection so I think like Boldev is absolutely crucial for that kind of chain to happen as well um and that you know idea of you know finding these bodies and identifying who they are because of the tattoos has almost become you know like every every single film about the Russian mafia now but they're only able to do that through the you know the the collection that Boldev puts together and the fact that him and, and he's joined by other people later on are, are beginning to um, help police detectives and put exhibitions on, essentially. So um, I think most people m- misunderstand that they've ever, if they've ever seen a drawing of a Russian criminal tattoo, that's from Danzig Baldaev. And if it isn't, yeah. it's, it's a really shit rip-off, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that I mean, that's, all, that's also what makes it for such a wonderful book, or a series of books, because he's such a good artist. And actually, weirdly, they all become... Um, they all become quite stylized in his style, right? So he has created this visual language. And I guess this brings up brings me on to what I wanted to ask you about the legacy of these books, Damon, because obviously Baldev's um drawing all of these tattoos that would have been done many freehand or copied from print sources. And they've become, you know, they've become, as you said, Mark, Baldev's drawings, because he is a great artist, right? Um, as, as a great draftsman. Um, and also why I was love to see what you did in the archive book, Damon, is because I sort of suspected in some senses that, that you'd done a lot of digital cleaning up of the originals, like to make them work in print. But actually seeing the scans of his drawings shows me just how close your re- your reproductions in those first encyclopedia are to the actual drawings that he was doing. Um, so, yeah, I guess my question is like, this became, after 2003, certainly by about 2010 like the go-to right like this became the 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 post new school tattoo tradition and like there have been people doing this kind of work beforehand um duncan x in particular in the uk who worked for alex binney but this became like the bread and butter of like of of 
global tattooing for the last decade, you know? I, I don't know. I, 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 would you agree with that assessment? And how do you feel about that? And were you surprised? And uh, I'll be totally honest. I've got to come clean here. I don't, I don't really know that much about tattooing. Yeah. Well, no, that, no, that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. I, I, that's, I mean, that, that makes it better. Yeah. I mean, from our perspective, I mean, we, we came across this collection and we saw it was a kind of a unique thing. And I think the way we've been handling it is that we kind of want to present this collection as a historical artifact and then let people understand it, try and understand the context behind it and try and understand the situation that was going on and how, I mean, for us, it's part of a series of books we've done on the Soviet Union and how that kind of brings us to where Russia is today, practically. So it, it, it kind of works backwards from there. But to, to get back to your kind of question about the tattoos themselves and their influence, I mean, sure, I, I, I get that people are totally influenced by them because we were. We were so, like, stunned by them. It's, it's unbelievable. We were like, what the hell? I, I, I just can't get my head around this. We've got to, you know, get it out there. And um, I, we understand that people have, uh, you know, copied them, done versions of them. Every now and then we'll see someone on Instagram with a, you know, a tattoo and we're thinking, do you really know what that means? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly they don't. <laughs> and, uh, and, but that's fine as well in a way. These things, you know, they, they get chewed up and smat out again and, and that's okay. You know, people... Uh, kind of reconsume this stuff and, you know, it becomes something else. And, you know, the thing that attracted us about these is they kind of have a beginning and they have an end and they're a a complete world in themselves. And that world is something that it's it's very, very hard to understand. And, you know, the the world of the criminals is... Is just something that um, unless unless you've read in depth about it and and can can comprehend it, uh, it's very tricky to 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 yeah. kind of get any handle on it and any handle as to why these images uh, would be tattooed in the first place. And have you had any? I mean, you don't have to ask me any detail, but have have you had any like backlash from? From 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 you know criminals or from prisoners or from prisons like is there are you butting up against some things that you know you've you've sort of wandered into un, unwittingly maybe um, no you know the honest, the straightforward answer is no I mean um, the, the, I guess a lot of the people who are in these photographs are dead now I mean the life of a criminal is is uh, you know it's you, you kind of burn your candle as bright as you can and fast as you can, and then you're done. And it's kind of the consequences, you know, who cares? And that's how they live their life. So I'd imagine, you know, the majority of people are dead. Uh, besides that, I mean, you know, we work with the people that um, produce the work directly or their families. And um, it's, you know, it's, totally fine i mean it's it's kind of all we're doing is trying to um show history really so uh, i think people respect that 
I think it's also like incredible that Boldayev has such a long life for a guy who's in the Soviet Union, who is also in the Second World War, and then he works in one of, I would imagine, the most kind of horrible prisons um, in in Leningrad, and then he's moving between different you know penal institutions, and also um, even though as you discussed earlier, um, Damon about. Um, the, the relationship that he develops. I mean, like it is dangerous developing that relationship. Like once you've got that relationship in place, but there must be some trepidation about approaching people to discuss their tattoos. And what we've seen in, in this book and in the previous ones is that while they have has really good relationships with like individual high ranking criminal prisoners and also big larger groups of, of you know kind of criminal um, prisoners as well. So, but but for Bodayev to have been born in the mid nineteen twenties and live until the early two thousands, given what you know the Soviet Union experiences and he experiences, uh, I, I, I think really kind of stands out. And and that that also is one of the biggest reasons why this archive is is, is so extensive and such a kind of valuable you know, resource as well. Um, he, he witnessed like there isn't anything that happens in the Soviet Union from the Second World War onwards um, that isn't included in the archive in some way. Like we, we found tattoos of every single leader, uh, a lot of other political figures. Um, Boldev is, is even drawing um, uh, sketches of Putin in, in his kind of final years as well. So um, the, as a historian, there is nothing that, hap- that happens in, in that period of time that isn't included in some way in a you know, kind of mostly a, a explicit or satirical form. You know, um, there, there's loads of tattoos about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, for example, we're very um, grateful. In uh, and again, we talked uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast with a, a friend of mine, Paul King, uh, about another archive. We're very grateful to like weird, obsessive men. I have to say, they are all men, probably uh, not by chance, who actually just had that kind of encyclopedic kind of mind and that interest and that desire to write stuff down and keep it, and um, you know, not afraid to get into some interesting and difficult places and. Honestly, without people like Baudaev and um, as you said, this stuff just wouldn't have survived anywhere. So we're we're very grateful to these these guys um, who are able to keep stuff safe. Um, I wanted to ask you then, like, yeah, what what's the state of of, of Russian uh, tattooing and certainly Russian criminal tattooing now? Because as I understand it. As with we talked about this in the podcast as well about tattooing in Japan, the criminal gangs in Japan have got much less interested in tattooing because it sort of makes being a criminal a bit harder. Now you're now you are document documentable. What does tattooing in Russia look like today? So it it looks at least it like in Moscow the last the last time that I was there and from what I've seen on Instagram since very similar to London and yeah, and yeah. and Dublin and, and elsewhere. Um, so the connection between um, mafia individuals and groups and the tattoos has changed a little. I think that um, the development of those like mafia groups into not l- legitimate businesses, but certainly like giving the guys of legitimate businesses in the late 1990s and early 2000s, you know, when, when Putin comes in, um, has changed things somewhat. So the um, the, the the kind of mafia titles, the um, Thieves in law titles, and now it's almost like a kind of franchise model um, where people can, can can buy the titles and presumably buy the, ta- the you know getting the tattoos to rep- represent the status as well. And um, the mafia groups in the past, in the, well, at least in the nineteen nineties, were, were were 
almost entirely made up of Russians. That started to change in the 1990s. In particular, there's a you know a lot of Chechen gangs that emerged then. Um, but the, the mafia gangs that exist now are m- mostly non-Russian. Um, the Russian gangs have changed into wearing business suits and so on. There's a really a really good book and a, actually like a TV series called McMafia, which kind of depicts it um, qu- quite nicely. Um, so the, some of the tattoos that I've seen in Moscow are on the kind of Moscow equivalent of Shoreditch. You know. <laughs> and, I, and, and Damon's point earlier about like, you know, like um, reflecting on someone's tattoo and thinking, do you actually know what that means? I'm not sure some of the young people in Moscow yeah, n- so know what these were either. So things have changed somewhat. Um, if there is a, a you know a kind of um, ongoing tradition of the criminal gangs, mafia gangs having tattoos, it's reverted back to one that's hidden rather than one that is is really kind of overtly displayed. So think things have you know have, have kind of changed course in in the last twenty years or so. I guess I guess I hadn't thought about that, I guess, but I guess of course Russian hipsters have this stuff as well. Like of course they do. Oh, I love that stuff. Honestly, I feel like I could talk for you for ages, but I, uh, we're on, like fifty five minutes on the recording, Tom. Like. Any anything that you wanted to, because um, I've, I've talked a lot and I could keep talking for <laughs> forever. Wouldn't be like you, Matt. Nah. Um, no, I honestly I think you've answered any question that I could have had. Like particularly, obviously, I get tattooed a lot more often than Matt does at this stage, and just the ubiquity of those encyclopedias in tattoo shops is just astonishing. And like in people's houses, like obviously. Most of my friends are into tattoos. Most people I intera- interact with are into tattoos. And it's so funny, Damon, you seeing it much more of like an archive of a art historical object than like, this is a book about tattoos. And I think that's we get, so... We get, in- sorry, we, we get people, um, you know, sending suggestions to us about different tattoo books, you know, regularly. Obviously we do. But, you know, for us, it's not that interesting because we're, we want that complete story. We've got that complete story here. And, and like anything we do now is going to be secondary to this. It, you know, it's not going to match up. So it, this is our kind of tattoo thing. And I think this is where we'll, we'll stop with, with tattoos as a, as a I, I really loved I really loved your book on um uh, Soviet bus stops. Like I, I bought a copy for myself and a copy for my father in law who's a big like concrete guy. So yeah, but I think that also speaks to the why the project's so great, because it's not it's not just quite quite just a, a, a book about tattoos, it's a book about people. It's a book about this very complicated, misunderstood, multifaceted, long standing, you know, decades long, maybe even a century long history. That otherwise isn't isn't very well told or represented, and I think like that's the, the beauty of of your eye, Damon, and uh, of your eye as well, Mark. Like just just a book of. I mean, I got um there was a bad review of my book on Amazon, uh, which said it didn't have enough pictures in it, right? Which is fair enough, fair enough. But like, I think sometimes people want that from tattoo books, just quite quite just pictures, and 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 what what i love about what you guys did back in 2003 and certainly what this new this new book brings out is that it's it's never just been just pictures right it's about it's about people's lives i, I mean i think that's the whole starting point for us was that there's more to this than, than just you know there's more to this than extraordinary drawings and extraordinary photographs but the combination of extraordinary drawings extraordinary photographs and extraordinary stories 
Yeah. It kind of makes it into a complete pitch that was sort of irresistible for us. And I, I you know, I know, I understand it's not a lot of people's cup of tea and, and <laughs> you know, some people are definitely not going to be into it. And, and, and tattoos, you know, don't kind of uh, necessarily uh, mean what they y- used to mean in terms of criminality and, uh, you know, as we've discussed. But for us, it was a complete picture, and and that's yeah. why we wanted to publish it. Yeah, so good. Did um did Baldove have any have any tattoos of his own? Was he tattooed? Did he get tattooed? Do we know? It's not as far as I'm aware. No, I mean, you know, I think Mark knows more about this than me. But as as far as I'm aware, it was it was pretty strict. You're a criminal. You've got tattoos. You're not a criminal. You have no tattoos. You know. Mm-hmm. And, the, the the cocks and the roosters is it Mark the, the yeah yeah the, 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 the two groups and they were they were named after sweets you know the, <laughs> two different types of sweets that you could buy at, at, at the time and that's why they were split so that they could you know they could clearly identify those two groups and mm-hmm. um, I, it's uh, yeah it's it's just you'd never the two would never really mix apart from the criminals getting the politicals to do their work for them. So I think that it would have been a a, a risk for for but I don't think that the the, the police, the militia, um people who are working for the you know like the secret services, like I don't think they have a tattoo culture, but also for Baldev given his background as a comment like from a minority that were repressed, I think that the fact that he advances so much through the uh, MVD is again kind of remarkable. Um, so I, I, I think, and also he's kind of you know doing the shorthand and presumably smuggling this out of the different institutions. So for him to be tattooed as well um, would, I guess, yeah. would like be too much of a, a, a giveaway, right? Um, so I, I, I don't think that culture exists within the militia, the MVD that he's he's working for like during that time, and also. I think just trying to keep his head down and, and you know, concentrate on, on building this building this archive. You know, again, it goes back to um, his his kind of love of ethnography or, or understanding the importance of ethnography. I think to be able to he realizes it's a risk to 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 bring these notes out and to draw them up and understand you know where the the the, the boundaries are where you know where things could become too much uh, you know of a, a danger for him. Given that he's you know kind of from you know. T- Somewhere very far away from the the center of the Soviet Union, you know, uh, where he you know, where he grows up. So. I mean, those those photos of him that you publish in the book of of him with prisoners, with he's there in his like you know suit or uniform, and like his the criminals around him with their shirts off. Like there is this proximateness which I really like, but there is this, still this separation which um, of the kind you mentioned. But it's really clear that he's in amongst this in a way that yeah, clearly was wasn't easy, but clearly he found very. Um, uh, very exciting and very productive you know there's there's a there's a there's an empathy and a, and a humanism in i think in his drawings um that doesn't come across in a lot of for example those earlier versions of tattoo drawings in prisons from from the sort of lombrosian era right like you can tell you can tell that he's i don't know friendly is the right word but he's a, he's 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 empathetic there's some empathy in these drawings yeah and that, that comes across in some of the annotations as well like on on the on the back of the drawings um, the best understanding recently of the Gulag and its predecessors in Russia is that it's a, a reputation system, uh, and, and and everything is built on trust. So, I, you know, once he's begun to develop that reputation, 
um, for you know being someone who's trustworthy and loyal, then you know he he he's in with these groups essentially. Um, quite you know how long it takes him to develop that you know um, that relationship with them, and and how dangerous again it must have been at the start is another question entirely. Uh, there's uh, to go back to the to the previous point about that like, he like, Bordel reveals a little more on some of his notes um, about certain um, prisoners that he's drawing up the tattoos of. There's a a female Latvian um, inmate who's called Elsie. Um, she um, is talking to him in the ni- in the uh, the nineteen sixties, I think it is, after her time in the camps. Um, Bordel is writing his annotations on the back um, of of her drawing, and he. And she, and Elsie is crying when she's talking to Boldaev about her experiences and saying that you know how horrible it was for non-Russians because of the Russian prisoners. And Boldaev reflects slightly on the annotation that he understands that because he'd seen it taking place as well. I think that some of those like kind of fleeting insights um, that we found on the annotations were, um, even though we didn't find any secret symbolism that existed in terms of mafia tattoos. We found more things about the gulag, the you know the labor camp system, yeah. um, than I think has ever been expressed before in in any publication. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Um, like, what's? But this is because I think it's be my last question. Otherwise, we'll talk to you forever. But like, you talked to me about a tattooed woman. I think that's also something that's interesting that doesn't come up a lot. In certainly when we're talking about tattooed criminals, um, there is this again sort of cultural imaginary of a of a man. Um, can you talk a bit about a bit more about about the tattooed women in the in the collection um, and in the archive? Because again, that that's something which is so um, such a unique insight, I think. So uh, yeah, I think I think another thing that's been missed by scholars of the labor camp system, scholars of the Soviet Union, in and or anyone looking at this collection that you know we we're um, we're published as the archive now, is that um, there's so many tattoos from female prisoners, um, and the, the female prisoner tattoos don't have the same codification. And if you look, you know, kind of think about how the mafia is structured, you know, there's a good reason for that um, because none of the female tattoos drawings that we've seen are related. I don't think to mafia in any way. Uh, they've got quite kind of strong rules about, you know, um, with female participation and so on. So um, I think the wide variety of female tattoos has been missed but also the link between um, the female tattoos and sex work in, in the Soviet Union as well, and about gender relations and, and how sex work and gender relations kind of kind of fit together. So th- there are a lot of um, uh, stories of female prisoners who are tattoos, I think, have, have, have been missed. Uh, and, and also, um, again, to go back to an earlier point, how, how many of the tattoos are about, about sexuality uh, and... and um, I think also the to return to a point that was made earlier about how um, female sex workers are, um, you know, they're 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 reclaiming their status. They're they're tattooing themselves, saying, you know, we're we're female sex workers, Uh, and um, and and the the kind of boldness of the tattoos as well. Some of the tattoos that we found are are huge, Um, and. so for them to have agency, where in the past I, I don't think people have really kind of discussed them in that way, I think that was another thing that we found. So Bordeaux is able to essentially visit a number of female kind of correctional colonies outside St. Petersburg. Uh, he also goes to a, num- a number of kind of um, um, uh, like kind of de- um, for, for recovering alcoholics, like kind of centres, detoxication centres for recovering alcoholics. 
uh, a number of kind of like home, homeless institutions as well. So I think again, you know, the the drawings that make up the archive don't just come from from the gulag, from from prison, you know, um, from prison um, institutions. They come from a wide variety of kind of places of confinement, if we like think about them in in that sense. Yeah, yeah. and uh, as you said, like I think that's probably a good place to kind of start drawing it to an end, which is something we've said all along. These are ways which allow these people to kind of communicate through through time, right? Because they're not often leaving other kinds of records they're not publishing books you know some did of course but these are voices which as you said are otherwise quite absent from the ways in which these histories are usually talked about and it's so exciting to see such a kind of um yeah rich and in-depth use of an archive to tell those kind of stories and i i as someone who's not in any way um, knowledgeable about the history of, of of russia or the history of the soviet union or the history of Russian penal systems at all, it's so exciting to be able to access those through these images and to get a sense of what's going on in a way that otherwise, you know, um, I wouldn't have been able to. So yeah, thank you. Um, and honestly, thank you, Damon, for like, I think really, I really think you are, you and you and Fuel are like pretty much solely responsible for the last decade and a half of, of, of time. <laughs> Of tattooing, a lot of a lot of tattooers have made a lot of money. Probably, definitely, a lot more money than you've made. I'm sure on on tattooing <laughs> images that you've published. So, <laughs> I need to be taxing them. Exactly, yeah. I think so. Um, but yeah, gentlemen, thanks very much for coming on the show. Um, if you want to come back and talk yeah, more about Russian do. prison tattooing, where can people get the book from? Uh, you can buy it at any good bookshop and. The usual kind of uh, online outlets, let's say. Yeah. Cool. And it's called the Russian Criminal Tattoo Archive. Um, beautiful, as always. Also, just a beautiful book. Like not just the images in it, but you you you, you put together a beautiful book. Let alone the Thanks images within much. it. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. And also a you can find the guys online there'll be a link in the description of this episode where you can buy the book you can find them on instagram your the fuel instagram page is great i, I see some like great stuff not just of tattooing but of you know concrete bus stops that sort of thing but i also want to thank as well uh our 10 pound and above supporters for the show remember for as little as a well actually less than a price of a pint at this stage a month <laughs> you can uh support the show and get access to episodes like this early and loads and loads of uh, bonus content and exclusive content on the paid feed but uh for 10 pounds and above you get a shout out and for 15 pounds you'll get a copy of matt's book uh postage not included please email matt sort that out but without further ado thank you to morpheus ravenna max c sigrun braga sasquatch that's a new one uh kirsten wright kathleen burkhardt jordan best jake fuentes our super secret patron whose name we cannot say and charlie lightning thank you very much Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.